0: You know, men and women from Southwoods have been doing these kind of trips now for, I was thinking about it, for 14 years. Uh, I think I've got that number right. Uh, If if I'm wrong, I'm on the short side. It'd be a year or two longer, but I think 14 years, and on occasion, and not just going here. I mean, we've got people who go to Guatemala, people who've been to Haiti, people who've been to Kenya, people going to Uganda. I could go on with these kind of places. I mean, all over the world, uh, we have people doing this sort of thing, and uh, it's not all Church sponsor. I mean, it's not like the church is paying for all of us to go do all these things. We're all investing our individual resources in this. So first of all, I'd say, yeah, you. But occasionally we get the question, why would you do that? I mean, why, why would you send so many people? I mean, we have all kinds of people investing time, energy, and resources in inner city Kansas City on a weekly basis. I've been doing that for years. Why would you do that? What's that all about? Two passages of Scripture come to mind. Both of them I'll refer, or both of which I'll reference, but you don't need to turn there unless you just want to, uh, unless you're like, you know the star pupil and just have to do it because you're an overachiever. First uh, John 3:17. One passage says, "If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person?" And the scripture goes on to say, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. It's just an acknowledgement that, that, that love that is restrained to just words is just that, words. God's looking for action. James one twenty seven says this, And this is one of the founding verses of uh, the Hero Maker's ministry. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. What these verses and others like them are trying to communicate to all of us as children of God is that when you and I care for orphans and widows and the poor on God's behalf, we're demonstrating the love of God in a practical way, not just with words, but with actions. And that biblical truth has inspired Christians for centuries. It's inspired Christians to launch relief organizations and churches and hospitals all over the world for centuries. It's prompted Christians to care for people with leprosy and tuberculosis and other deadly and devastating diseases that others were running from. But Christians would go to to try to help make a difference on God's behalf in the life of these people who were suffering from them. I mean, the biblical truth that when you and I serve the poor and widows and orphans, you we're serving them on God's behalf, has inspired Christians to establish soup kitchens, medical clinics, orphanages, schools, children's and, and family counseling programs, clean water wells, you, you know, mosquito net thing, you know, on, for malaria issues. I could go on and on with the kinds of things that we have been inspired by the truth of Scripture I've just talked about uh, to, uh, to do motivated by showing the love of God to those who need to know it. But I have an important question for all of you with that in mind. Is all of that charity what the Bible defines as love? When the scripture challenges you and me to love our neighbor, is that all it means? And before you're quick to answer, Let me just say the answer is yes and no. It's yes and no. I want to share another verse of Scripture that sometimes gets lost among all of us who are very committed to showing the compassion of God to people in our world. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says this. If I give all I possess to the poor... And surrender my body to the flames. What's it saying? If, if I demonstrate compassion in these kinds of ways, surrender my body to the flames, even if I'm a martyr, but have not love, what's it say? I gain nothing. So no benefit. Here's the point. And this is what I want us to wrestle with this morning. I want all of us who are on these trips to wrestle with this. I I hope that you wrestle with this, you know, because the goal is not to discourage us from showing compassion. The goal is to. Purify the compassion that's within us. And here's the point the scripture is trying to say it's possible to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick and diseased, teach the uneducated and illiterate, help widows and orphans, believe in a person's potential, and on and on. I could go, it's possible to do loving things like that without love. And nobody wins. We lose, we gain nothing, there's no benefit to us. At best, there's limited benefit to others because there's this loving stuff done in ways that sometimes defile the very thing that we're trying to do. You follow what I'm talking about? So for the next few minutes, we're going to talk uh, a little bit. We're going to let the scriptures remind us of how to do loving things in loving ways. How to do loving things in loving ways, because that's true love, and that kind of love is what wins. Everything else uh, is what we would call good intentions, but maybe more about us than about blessing somebody else. So every one of us can grow in our capacity to holistically love others and learn to do loving things in loving ways. And so for the next few moments, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bible, open it up to that passage. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to start with verse 3, actually. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible of your own. But God tells us in just a few verses uh, here the spiritual workout routine, if you will. thought that was appropriate for a New Year window of time. A uh, spiritual workout routine that's required for expanding our capacity for love. You know, some of us right now, we've expanded our capacity to eat and, and we need to shrink that capacity. Uh, right now, this is a spiritual workout routine that will will shrink our capacity to be self-oriented and stretch our capacity to love. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start at verse 3. And this is... Uh, Just a fantastic passage of Scripture. And sometimes verses 4 and following get separated in our minds from what precedes it. And I I don't want to do that this morning. I just want to start there. Verse 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. The New Living Translation of the Bible here says, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The passage goes on to tell us, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. These are rich verses, and in these verses, God gives us four relational exercises, four relational exercises that will strengthen our capacity to holistically love others. The the kind of exercises that when we're demonstrating acts of compassion, we need to work on this when we're doing that, for love to be made complete in us, okay? The first relational exercise is this. We need to practice patience. We love patience, don't we? Verse 4 love is patient and kind. It goes on and highlights in verse 5 that it's not rude. It's not rude. Think with me about this. Do you know the difference between kindness and rudeness in a checkout line? You know what it is there, the difference? You know the difference between kindness and rudeness in an email response or in a conversation? Most of the time, it's just patience. Patience in the E-ero response is leaving that email in the draft file, so that the next day you can look at it and delete it, you know? In, in the conversation, it's holding your tongue. It's just patience with regard to saying what you're thinking or feeling, reacting. You know what I'm saying? This is the different, Patience in, in so many instances. The difference between kindness and rudeness is really patience. And you and I have lots and lots of opportunities to practice patience in life, don't we? I mean, I, I, could, I could go on for a long time. I stood in a 30-minute checkout line last Friday... There were six checkout stations, only one open. A manager had the brilliant idea that since it was 40 minutes before closing time, we should shut down all these stations and leave this giant line of customers. This this is how you do retail environments, for those of you, just a little side there, PSA. If you don't want your retail environment, like, to be busy. You can assure that, that, that that's the case. But the whole time, I'm standing there in line and thinking to myself, wanting to react, but the whole time just kind of feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is, this is good. Remember what you're talking about this week. <laughs> I'm saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for not just allowing me to intellectually engage with this, but to emotionally feel it. This is what, I, what I'm standing in line thinking. He and I are having this little little dialogue. You know, a few weeks ago, Christmas Eve morning, we had a fun thing happen. A repair guy got his truck stuck in our yard on Christmas Eve morning. You remember, we had two Christmas Eve services. I was going to speak it was they start early, you know, kind of the afternoon time and so forth, and I've been waiting for three weeks for this guy to come. And uh, on that particular weekend, if you remember, it was uh, not cold like today. Remember that? It was like, it's hard to remember, I know. But it was, it, was, it was not cold like today. It had warmed up. It had been an iceberg, you know, like the, like the Arctic for a, a couple of weeks before that. And back when I called him to come out and fill my propane tank... But uh, but he he didn't make it, and so of all days to pick to show up, Christmas Eve, he shows up at my house. Okay, not as if I got nothing else to do that day, and so uh, he shows up, backs out in his out in the yard. This giant truck is a propane tank full of fuel, and then he buries the axles trying to get out because it, the temperature had risen and it was. I, he had the absolute biggest tow truck. Come, I, this, the tow truck was so big it could have pulled the space shuttle and the Toyota Tundra pulling it. I mean, it was just this massive, massive tow truck. And uh, he's towing this thing from out on the road. And I'm just, I'm thinking, he spent three hours out there. The whole time, I'm like, got this war going on inside of me. This part of me that wants to be mad at. The gas company, mad at him. I'm like, t- opportunity to coach him on how to, how to drive a big truck like that on property. On and on, I it was going in, inside of me. And at the same time, um, I, I would have like the Holy Spirit inside saying things like this. Why don't you offer the guy a cup of coffee? You know? He's been sitting out there three hours. Maybe he needs to go to the bathroom. Maybe you should go invite him in. You know, on and on it goes like this. Why don't you smile? Just just smile. <laughs> just smile. Have you forgotten how to do that? Um, I did resist snide, sarcastic remarks. But life is filled with opportunities like that for us to learn to wait gracefully and be patient. Most of us view those as a wasted day. God views it as an opportunity to uh, weaken our baser side and expand our capacity to love. But we have, part of it's right here. It's between these earlobes. We've got, it's, that's how we view what's going on in our lives. And so my encouragement to you, today, I don't know what you're having to wait on. Kurt's getting on an airplane tomorrow. He might get to wait. Yes. That's how, we should, that's how we have to think about it. And then, you know, fight the war inside is what we have to do. It's not just about waiting. It's about how we wait. It's about who we're listening to in our spirit. It stretches our capacity to love more holistically. Um, relational exercise number two. Practice selflessness is what you and I need to do. Verse verse 4, the passage, you love is patient and kind. It goes on and says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Remember my mother referring to that at times when I was a kid? For whatever reason. Verse verse 5 talks about that. You know, jealousy, boasting, pride, irritability, demanding my way. Has to be my all of that a threat to love. It's, it threatens our capacity to love. And to humble a demanding and irritable nature, we've got to practice and choose selflessness. Some of us approach selflessness as though it's just gonna to happen to us. I'm going to wake up someday, I'm going to be selfless. Oh God, help me tomorrow to be selfless. And you wake up and you don't feel that way, so we'll go right on with the day. God didn't answer my prayer. No, no. Selflessness is a choice. Something intentional. Intentionally letting someone else get their way. This is why it's difficult. It would be Virtue would be easy if it just happened. Marriage is the perfect place, the perfect practice field for the development of selflessness. Amen. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You should all be saying "Amen." But here's—I uh, think—with—I me, mean, who chooses the restaurant when you go out to dinner? Perfect opportunity to practice selflessness. Unless, of course, it's like, oh, you know, both of you are of the mind to say, oh, no, it's all right. You decide. You decide. Most of us aren't in that kind of deal. But if you happen to be, if you happen to be, you know, maybe then it's uh, inviting someone else to weigh in on the process other than your kids because that teaches them that they're in charge. That's a whole nother problem, (laughs) another message. So uh, who gets up with the baby in the middle of the night? Who cleans up after the dog? I thought of that this morning because I was learning patience. Lori is at her parents' this weekend. She's got to take it a long way. Her dad's been recovering from the surgery. She's over there. And I had to take care of the dog who got sick this morning. This is double duty. I'm learning patience and, well, I guess, I don't know what I'm learning. I'm learning patience is what I'm learning. That brought it to mind. Sorry about that. Sorry for the stray thought there. Question for you When cash flow is tight, whose discretionary money gets cut? You can intentionally decide for it to be you instead of your spouse. You want a new F-150. She wants a dining room wants dining room furniture. Who wins? Which comes first? I mean, this is all this is all stuff we can decide. Selflessness is a choice. And practicing it expands our capacity to experience and express love, both. It will increase our experience of it. It will increase our capacity to express it. The ultimate practice of selflessness is relational exercise number three that shows up in the text. As we need to practice forgiveness. Look at verse 5. The latter part of the verse after saying, you know, it doesn't demand its own way, love does is not irritable. And notice what it says, it keeps no record of being wronged. This is particularly challenging in marriage because you nobody knows the shortcomings of your spouse better than you. And and sometimes your spouse might know your shortcomings better than you. And it becomes difficult. Challenging in that context, but forgiveness, practicing forgiveness, whether it's there or in any other sphere of our lives, is a perfect opportunity to grow in what it means to holistically love the people who are around us. I was thinking about all this this past week when uh, I read about uh, the European Commission president. he I don't know if you know of this guy or heard this or not, but a man named John Claude Junker. I think I'm saying his last name right. If I'm not, I apologize. But John Claude Junker, who uh, revealed in a recent interview that he keeps a book. He literally keeps a book with the list of people who have crossed him in the past. Their name's written in that book. Real book. I'm not joking. It's uh, one of the most senior officials in the European Union, this guy is. He's the president of it. Junker said in his interview... This is the quote. I have a little black book called Le Petit Maurice. Say that with me. Le Petit Maurice. I think we're French for a moment there. Where uh, he says, "I, I, I keep this little black book called Le Petit Maurice, where for the past 30 years I have noted when someone has betrayed me. And he went on to defend himself. Apparently he'd read 1 Corinthians 13 at some point. He went on to defend himself and he assured everyone, I'm not vengeful. I just have a really good memory. That'd make you feel good. His book of offenses became so well known during his term as the prime minister of Luxembourg that he used to tell people who were attacking him, people coming after him, he would say this, be careful, little Maurice is waiting for you. This is what he would do. You read scripture, our capacity to truly love people can't grow that way. Our capacity to judge people, to evaluate people, to discriminate between people will. It'll grow. But your capacity to love will not. We must learn to forgive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So, I just ask you, who do you need to selflessly forgive that's hurt you? Maybe you don't have a little black book, so you felt good about yourself, but the Holy Spirit is kind of whispering in your heart, you know, you don't have a book, but like, you got the list. Think of Colossians 2. I just kept thinking about it even as we were worshiping this morning. Colossians 2, verse 14, talks about how God nailed. The written record of our sins that's kept in the heavens to the cross. And he gave up the list. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. And if God's going to do that, um, we need to do the same. Relational exercise number four that we need to give ourselves to, if if we're going to love holistically like God's calling us to, we've got to practice faith. We have to practice faith. First Corinthians thirteen verse seven says, "Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance." Do you see the? Do you notice the superlative words there? Uh, Anybody who's been to counseling or you've had any marital counseling where you've trained people, one of the things, you, here, here's a, a marriage word of advice. Never say to your spouse, you always do fill in the blank. Or you never fill in the blank. It just, and I'm giving you that at no cost. Okay? Okay. <laughs> So just just file that away, you know, if you know, just catch yourself in those conversations because it comes out of our mouths sometimes. But I want you to notice that while that is dangerous in so many instances, look at what look at what scripture is saying right here. Look at this. Love never gives up. That's a superlative statement never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures. It's as if the writer Paul got tired of saying never and always, and so it just says it endures through every circumstance. Also a superlative statement. The way most of our lives are, we have circumstances that come our way in life and those circumstances tempt us to quit trying to love or to quit forgiving or to quit being patient or to quit doing the right and virtuous thing. And what God is trying to remind us of here is that he never promised us that life was going to be easy. I mean, life in a fallen world is messed up. And if we choose to love on the basis of circumstance, uh, we are destined to not love and to grow jaded and hard hearted. It's true with our kids. It's true with our spouse. It's true with employers. It's true with the government. It's true with all authority. When you and I get to start choosing whether we'll be virtuous or not and letting ourselves off the hook, love goes out the window, which I believe is precisely why Scripture teaches that in the end times, uh, the world will be bankrupt of love. I want to ask you, are there circumstances in your life that you've been allowing to uh, talk you into not loving, not trying, not hoping, not praying anymore? Love requires faith, practicing it. And to practice faith, there gotta be stuff come into our lives that threatens it. Hospice can threaten it, affairs can threaten it, rebellion and addiction, and on and on I could go, can threaten our capacity to love. People taking advantage of our love can threaten it. But if we're going to love holistically, as God calls us to, don't give up. Practice faith. It will enlarge your capacity to love. It will increase your experience of love. You'll be following in the footsteps of Jesus, who never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance for you and me and our good modeled that on the cross he endured stuff long before what, long before his death by crucifixion we'd have given up right but he hung in there because he loves and has faith believes in you and me got to do the same for others Each of us can grow in our capacity to love like Jesus. But more is required than simply what we might call acts of compassion. Acts of compassion are good. Our world desperately needs them. We as God's people need to be all over that. But with God's help, we must learn... To do those loving things in loving ways because the power to change lives and the world resides in that kind of love. Just look at Jesus. We're still talking about him 2,000 years after the fact. He didn't have a marketing team, he didn't dump a bunch of money into promotion. He just loved with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is how we as God's people win with true love, the real thing. So I want to ask you as we wrap up this morning, which of the relational exercises that we've talked about is maybe the Holy Spirit saying, you know, You could probably benefit from all of them, but maybe you should focus on this one. Which one of them would he be saying? Does he want you to practice patience, or selflessness, or forgiveness, or faith? What's he calling you to today? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to invite you as well to be praying over all of our folks that will be traveling, as I mentioned at the beginning of all the things we mentioned, but just pray that, that we will walk in love and serve in love and that there'll be even more of the Holy Spirit's presence because we do that. Would you pray for us about that to that end, okay? Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Glad you made it this morning. If you need prayer for something afterwards, I'll hang around. There'll be others of us here to pray for you too, okay? Father in heaven, ask that you would go with us, that you would help us to love like you love, to serve like you serve, to be like you are, humble, kind, gentle, self-controlled, loving to the core of your being. It does not come natural to us, Father. We sometimes think to ourselves, "Oh, how loving we are when everything's going exactly as we wish." And then all one little thing can change and suddenly we become very loving and self-centered and help us, oh God, to become so filled with your love that even when things go wrong, we have the power from your spirit to be patient. And kind, to not be irritable, be the kind of people who don't have to demand our own way. The kind of people who hope and trust and forgive and are faithful. God, as you help us to that end, we'll give you credit for the good that results, because apart from you, we know that won't happen. but with you, all things are possible, including this. That's our request. Would you go with us now as we leave? Go with our our men who will be traveling. Grant them safety in your presence. Guide our work and bless the congregation here as we endeavor to be faithful to you as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Bless you all.